This is episode six of the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Deal and James Lee. Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like you're reinventing the wheel every single week? Well, you don't have to anymore by joining a pace group. Pace groups are peer learning groups. They are unique and intimate small group settings for pastors to collaborate and learn from their peers, helping them to become better pastors with other pastors. Groups are made up of clergy who meet monthly for a period of eight to 10 months to create a purposeful and trusting environment of relationship building where they have the freedom to explore ideas and share experiences. Be sure to register by January 15th at gnjumc.org pace. Unlock your imagination and engage in a pace group today. Hello, Internet. I'm very excited for today's podcast. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about giving stewardship, and we have a very special guest. He is the Reverend Rich Hendrickson. He currently is the senior pastor of St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. It is a really vibrant church. They have 500 people on an average Sunday. They have an awesome youth ministry, great music. Another thing about Rich that's pretty cool is before he uh, began serving at the church, he was actually the director of stewardship for the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey for 10 years. During those 10 years, he was visiting churches, consulting them, and coaching them in their giving ministry. So this is a pretty, this is a passion for you as well. It is, yeah. It, it, it kind of came early on. I was pastoring in the local church, and um, you know, part of my original calling was to be uh, someone that God could use to help um, the overall faith of individuals, but also the overall health of the church. And so when the stewardship position became open, prayed a lot about that and really felt called to, um, this is a very unique place where I could help uh, the, the health and ministry of the local congregation. Wow. Welcome, Rich. We're Thank so you. excited. You have such it's an amazing background. Um, it's always really interesting to he- listen to all of our guests and where they've come from and how they got built into the religious journey. Um, so with stewardship, what is, we're just gonna, I'm just going to dive right in. What is stewardship? You know, somebody uh, said this to me early on and uh, as a mentor of mine, they said, stewardship is everything that happens in our life after we say yes to Christ. Huh. And that really stuck with me. I love that definition because it's it's not, you know, stewardship often is just to get, it gets equated with money. and But it's our time. Uh, it's how we use our talents. It's really our discipleship, how we um, live out our faith every day. And uh, to me, that is the ultimate uh, definition of stewardship. It's it's all about everything that happens, everything that we're doing in response to God's uh, calling us and, and um, God's extravagant generosity in the gift of Jesus Christ. So so yeah. stewardship is, you're saying, is more than just money. You're saying oh, it's time. Absolutely, yeah. um, I do want to kind of dive in into the money question a little bit, because sure. I think that's where a lot of people do get a little tripped up and get, have a lot of questions, especially for people who are new to the church, right? They say, okay, you got me in Sunday worship. You plugged me into a small group. Um, we're, all, we're all trying to just grow new disciples. And now you want my money? You know, it's that's a great way to put it because <laughs> too often in, in church, especially I think in worship, that's kind of how it's presented. It's like we're worshiping, we're doing great, we're praising God, and then, okay, we're going to stop now and shake you down. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> that's and, even better way to put it. You know, 
and then when we're done getting everything that you have out of your pockets, we're going to continue worship. And um, I feel good about it too. Yeah, and, and one of the things I've worked so hard at over the ten years, and, and now you know, in, in the local church, is to to kind of reinvigorate that moment um, and and help people see that that is worship. Um, that's an opportunity for us to give. And one of the ways I, I've really worked hard at helping churches do it, but also do it myself, is how are we inviting people to give? Um, I would say 90% of the churches I go in, the introduction of the offering is, and now the ushers will take the offering. Right. And it could be, folks, when you give, here's all the great things that happen. When you give, the church is able to you know, impact the lives of our youth and our children, reach out to the community, reach all the way around the world in our connection as United Methodists. So there's so many ways we could help people see the connection between their giving and being part of God's work in the world. And that changes the whole thing. Yeah, it's fascinating because one thing I was thinking was uh, for a person who's never walked into a church before, they go into a church and it's, now's the time for offering. And the plate goes around, you know, Either they feel very uncomfortable, it's like, why do they take my money? Where is it going? And also part of it may be they feel pressured to give because everyone else is doing it, but they don't know why, right? Yeah. And I, I cringe when I hear like the person introducing the offering saying something to the effect of, well, if you're a visitor or guest today, you have no obligation to give. And I, I cringe because that's a, that's a very unhealthy theology of giving. Um, first of all, it makes those who give think, okay, I, I guess I have an obligation to give. Um, but it also, um, instead of helping people see that that's an opportunity to participate with God in the world, they see it as, okay, then what is it? Especially if I'm brand new to the church. Right. What is this moment, you know, and why is it so important? Right. And it almost draws a line, right? Yeah. It almost says, we are the members of the church and you're not. Right. It almost is yeah. this exclusive mm. mentality yeah. also. So, I didn't realize and that. And members yeah. pay dues and non-members don't. So <laughs> I don't know how well that well, plays out. That. That's right. He's like, oh, still mem- <laughs> Okay, if I join, I'm going to yeah. have to put money in. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I don't think anybody means any harm by it, but sometimes old habits are hard to break. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I do, have, I do have to ask the question because there are going to be people who ask this question. Um, where does the money go? J. Cliff Christopher in his book, Not Your Parents' Offering Plate, um, I think that's I like that title. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the best stewardship book I've ever um, read, and plus I rec- I've recommended it to churches all over uh, New Jersey. He says, you know, there's three questions we have to answer today. Belief in the ministry, belief in the leadership, and belief that the church is being physically responsible with, with what they're getting. And if we can strengthen those three areas, um, and, and the first one's most important, and that really goes to your question, James, is where does the money go? We've got to let folks know and help them really believe in the ministry the church is doing. And every time that happens, we see people uh, being more generous with their money, uh, more generous with their time and willing to invest their lives into the ministry because they see the value in it. So that's a really that's that's a key question. Um, it's probably where I spent most of my time as a stewardship coordinator, consulting and coaching local churches. Is how are you telling those stories, and how are you inviting people to be part of those stories through their giving? Great, thank you. So, what is the biggest difference that you've seen over the years between churches that have successfully gave gave to ministry and those who are still struggling? Oh, how do I want to say this? It's really the difference between um, 
I have to give versus I get to give. I'll go into a church for a consultation and they'll tell me all the things they can't do because they don't have enough money, don't have enough people, don't have enough resources. So I've tried to say, okay, well, what can you do? And I've watched as churches then focus on what they can do and build on that. And it's it, they don't let what they can't do keep them from doing what they can do. And that's a huge foundational stewardship piece. Sure, it's like the outlook, how they look at it. That's right, exactly. That positive exactly. outlook. Yeah, like, oh, we can't, you know, it, it really comes down to um, a theology of scarcity uh, right. or a theology of abundance. I can't do all of this over here, but boy, I can do this one thing and I can do it really well. What are some examples of some of the churches you've seen over the years uh, where, yeah, do you have any specific examples where they said, oh, we can't do this, 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 but then where they, I don't know, When they changed their, their like, mindset, like yeah. what did they do? Like a specific example, like a specific story? Yeah, there was one church I went into and a very, you know, pretty, pretty small congregation. Uh, I met with uh, about eight of the church leaders um, and through the conversation realized that they were the trustees, the SBR, the church council. I mean, they literally were the church leaders. Uh-huh. And as we sat around, again, they started with, we can't do very much. Um, we're too small, this and that. And then I said, well, start to tell me some of the things you are doing. They filled up three newsprints. But one of the things that struck me in that conversation was that as people were sharing what they were doing, other people in the room said, I didn't know we were doing that. Oh, wow. This was not a big congregation. Oh, wow. And so getting that information out, it was very important. To really, to your question, though, there was another congregation I worked with that really wanted to do more outreach to the local community. Mm. Didn't have the volunteers, didn't have the money. Um, what they started to do was they started an after school, almost like childcare, but really for, it was kind of like a tutoring program for math skills. Because okay. they had a couple of folks in the congregation that had those gifts. Um, they started there. Well, that gave them um, a chance to interact with parents that were now coming and dropping their kids off. Again, they were only doing it one day a week to start. Um, I went back to that church about a year and a half later. Now, when I was there first, they were waiting for the um, rummage sale in order to make payroll. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. (laughs) When I went back a year and a half later, they had finished the year in the black, um, had raised $95,000 for a capital campaign, um, had $8,000 to the plus uh, at the end of the year, and their worship now, both services on Sunday, were full. Oh, my gosh. And, and this I, is just from a And I said, how did you do that? I said, we, we started to focus in on what we could do. Wow. And build on that. Um, maybe someone is uh, a new believer, uh, met Christ, uh, fresh, uh, plugged into a church, and they're like, okay, I want to give, but how much do I give? Or what? What's what is this thing called tithing? If, that might be a question. How would Great you answer question. someone like that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I first started in stewardship, one of my one of my first uh, sermons was titled "Tithing is the floor, not the ceiling." The fact of the matter is, we live in a time where the average giving in our congregations as mainline Protestants is probably around one point eight to two percent. So if you kind of start, especially with new believers, if you start out, it's got to be 10%. It's probably the end of the conversation, or it's it's the end of them listening. (laughs) Where I've uh, had more success is to say, 
How do you get started on this journey? Just give something. Give something, and as you grow in your faith, as you read the scriptures, as you, you know, experience life in the congregation, just allow God to continue to grow you uh, in your in your giving practice. And you know, if if the first year you can you can be at one percent or two percent, um, you know, maybe the next year you can go up another percent. And before you know it, if you get into that practice, um, then you're you're on your journey. Uh, towards tithing, but th- that means the local church has to do their work. Um, right, education right. again. What is tithing? Um, but also helping people to grow in their faith as they par- participate uh, in the life of the church. And I think for new believers too, it becomes especially important to see the value in what they're giving to. Um, that's going to resonate with new believers uh, a lot. You want to happen to know like. If you are a United Methodist, say for every dollar you give, like how much goes to what kind of places? Are the, do, you, do you know? Yeah, you know, uh, great question. And, and, and basically, like every $100 that the local church receives, um, I believe it's like 85 or 86% of that stays in that local church. Some goes off uh, to the general church. We, you know, we call that apportionments or shared ministries. And that's only like 2% that stays at the general church level, but then the rest um, is uh, what funds ministry at the district and conference levels. You know, there's different categories. There's world service. Um, That really is the mission arm of of the Methodist Church. Uh, It does great things all over the world. Um, It has four areas of focus. Um, you know, uh, global health, working with the poor, new faith communities, and leadership development. Uh, at least I think that's still a four for this uh, quadrennium. <laughs> um, but apportionments also um, pay for retiree health care. Uh, there's a lot of just great ministry programs that districts are able to offer, conferences are able to offer. So, again, about 85%, 86% stay local. Um, good portion of what's left uh, allows for ministry and programming at the conference and district level, and then a certain percentage of that goes off to um, the denomination. Um, if churches are struggling right now and they're listening, and what are three things that they can start right today um, on how to get started on the right track of growing their stewardship? I think the, the, the most important uh, foundational pieces for change uh, is the stories that you tell. How, how are you communicating to those in the pews? Here's, here's what your giving is doing. But also, I guess the other side of that coin would be what's at stake. Um, if we can't fund these ministries, then that's what's at stake. Um, and part of that challenge in, in that regard is also to help people see, you know, one of the biggest costs of ministry is usually the building. So what's the ministry of the building? Um, what are the outside groups that use it? You know, don't forget to remind people that because the heat's on and the air conditioning, if you have it, or the lights are on, um, we can have worship here. We can have Bible study here. We can have AA and I NA think, group. You know. I think a lot of people forget that, that, you know, to keep your lights on, we need mo- you need money to do that. You know, just, you know, if you want heat and air conditioning, and I don't think people realize that their money goes to actually keeping the building up. Right. And, you know, again, a big difference I've seen over the years is when people start to get an understanding that that also is ministry money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changes their attitude towards uh, the overall church uh, ministry plan. And what we really have to stop doing is the 
bail us out because the ship is sinking mentality, especially with new people that come into the church. You know, I've worked so hard over years to get churches to stop putting the, this is what we need, this is what we got, and this is the difference in the Sunday bulletin. Because if I'm a new person and I walk in and I see that big deficit, I'm going to say, well, I know what I'm going to hear if I continue to come here. And that's going to be a constantly an asking for money. So you don't really recommend kind of sharing the urgency of it, of that we need this money, kind of like last week? <laughs> There's ways and times to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Sunday Bulletin is the place um, because it just it's it's tends to be bad news week after week, and that takes its toll, not only on new people, but also on people that have been there uh, a while. I would much rather see a congregation focus on, here's what we feel that God's calling us to do, here's what it's going to take to do that, and here's how you could be part of that. And that comes for me out of, again, another book from Henry Nouwen, which is called The Spirituality of Fundraising. And uh, what Nouwen basically says in this little book is, you know, if we focus on the mechanics and the logistics, then we're constantly going to have to go back to the congregation and say, can we have your money now? How about now? Right. Can we have your money now? Uh-huh. And, and he says the better, healthier stewardship message is, we're doing great things in the name of Christ. We know you want to be part of that. Here's how you can be involved in those ministries. And then give people the opportunity to show up more, give more, and be part of something bigger than themselves. So would you say that, you know, having that kind of mentality actually increased uh, a giving? Yes. Did, has churches experienced that? You'd say? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's very positive. Um, you're helping people see uh, that when I give, great things happen. So it sounds like it's the language that you're using and really just engaging. Yeah, attitude, uh, vocabulary is very important. Um, but really, the the um, I, I just think the more positive you can be about the good things that happen when people give versus um, if you don't give, we may have to close our doors. Right. Um, it's just, yeah. <laughs> but then for some churches, that, that I mean, that is a reality too. It is, you know, yeah. So. And that becomes then another challenge and tension is how do you tell the truth um, but still maintain uh, hopefulness in the midst of that. So what are some resources that churches can, you know, whether it be online, you mentioned some really great book resources. Where can church leaders go to really kind of narrow down, okay, this is the vocabulary I need to use. This is how I change my mindset. It won't happen overnight because like you said, it is a mindset. And that's hard to change when they've been doing this week after week. So where do they stop and try to reverse roles and resources they can do that? You know, there's so much out there. UMCgiving.org, great website with tons of resources around our own denominational giving. Horizons Stewardship, uh, great resource. Um, Scott McKenzie uh, has wonderful resources on on that um, website. Uh, I really would also encourage... Uh, folks to look at the whole concept of uh, narrative budgets. Narrative budget? Tell yeah, us more. It's, it takes the numbers from the full numbers budget and separates them into categories. And the one that I have on gnjumc.org is a pie chart. So it'll say, um, you know, uh, worship. Another category might be uh, evangelism and outreach. Another one might be missions. But it gives you a quick glimpse into how much the church spends on that 
and then a couple of bullet points of the ministry that happens in that area. So you get, here's what it costs, and, and I think really good narrative budgets also have the percentage of the total budget that that is, and then also a little bit of a description. So real quick, if I go into a church, I can see, okay, here's what they're about, um, and here's, here's where they're putting their resources. Uh, it's a really good tool. You know, that's fascinating. Uh, and this is going to go off tangent a little bit. But in sem- when I was in seminary, uh, my friends and I, we designed an app. It was called Pie on the Table. Mm. And the idea was someone can log into the app and they can share their story and their desire for where they want their church's money to go. And it's like almost like a voting process. Uh, I don't know. It, it was kind of like, you know, how I- can we give the story... Uh, you know the I, in this case the narrative stewardship you said narrative, narrative budget narrative yeah. budget kind of back to the congregation to hear their voice and their calling and their- it's really interesting that you say that James because uh, you know one of the congregations I worked with they they plotted out their narrative budget based on their current spending and what they saw was that their evangelism uh, piece was five percent of their overall budget wow. and that was not acceptable to them. But until they did this, they didn't realize that it was that low. So so they really went through a process of discernment. Well, if, if evangelism is going to be a priority for us, then what needs to change in the other parts of the, uh, of the pie? The other piece that I think good narrative budgets do is you won't see a piece of the pie labeled uh, staff salaries, um, including the pastors. Uh-huh. Uh, I think really good narrative budgets tell the pastor you know, keep track over two months, three months, where are you spending your time? And then they take the salary and assign it to those areas. Wow. You're spending 10% of your time in a week preparing for worship, then 10% of your salary gets assigned to the worship category. And that way it doesn't have this, because if you, you know, the the, um, organist, choir director, music director, their salary is going to be in worship. Right, right. Um, that way, you don't have this big, huge that makes so piece much of the sense. pie, yeah. and people say, oh, "Okay, well, that's where all our money's going," and they tend not to see then that again is right. um, they, ministry money. Right, it's overhead. Right, because you know when you look at the if if the budget were to be in that way where the salaries are all in one area, then they'd be like, "Oh, that's a that's a big portion. We should cut that down." Right, but, mm-hmm. but that shouldn't be the case. We can be we can be much better financially if we just. Cut salary, cut, cut a person, yeah. or cut a position. But that's not the case. Oh, no, because yeah, that's because... got to deeply affect ministry. Right, right. Yeah, you're you're cutting into worship. You're cutting into evangelism. That's fascinating. So where can the church uh, get? Um, I guess get this done. Narrative budgeting. Yeah, there's again, there's one on our website, gnjumc.org under stewardship resources. But it, it, that's just one type. There's there's probably ten to fifteen different types. Um, if you go on. Um, umc.org and click on uh, again the stewardship resources there there'll be another type there i just say you know and i use the word google because that's where i go but you know <laughs> that's, that's google narrative budget and there'll be um you know trifold paragraphs pop up there'll be pie charts there'll be uh one church in our conference um does like a corporate end of the year financial statement it's a whole book and uh, every pot every um, piece of the pie has a page with mi- pictures of that ministry, what it costs, full description, and um, that works for them. So there's a lot of ways that you can uh, adjust this to who you are as a congregation. Great. Another way to tell the story. 
another way to tell the story. Yeah. I need this narrative budgeting for my own personal finances. Yeah, I'm not, like, oh, <laughs> this can come pie. Whoa. Yeah, it's not, not I need a bad to idea. break this down. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad idea. <laughs> we, we all need a narrative budgeting in our, right. each of our, our lives. So just, I think the narrative budgeting is really an amazing concept because uh, where your money goes really tells a story of what you care about. Right. And like I kind of bring fundraising background. I'm like, so can you make asks in the church? Like, could you, you know, sponsor? I don't know. Does that happen in yeah, the church? Yeah, we, like, call, we you... call it designated giving. Oh, there's a nicer way to <laughs> do it. Giving, yeah. We're gonna yeah. make an ask. You know, some churches have have uh, really developed this as a real positive way, and that's to say, okay, you know, you commit to your kind of your weekly giving. But, um, you know, we really want to develop a food pantry ministry. And if you have a passion for outreach to the community, here's an opportunity for you to give up and above okay. what you might So give. that's like turning the language around and saying, well, we have all this, but this right. is a specific thing. You that's can. Right. Okay. Uh, Paul has a wonderful um, passage in Second uh, Corinthians. And uh, Eugene Peterson does a great job with this in the message. He says, uh, make up your mind about what you will give, for that will protect you against arm twisting and sob stories. <laughs> God, really? uh, yeah. Well, that's well, the message. That's the message. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just, God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Uh-huh. And that, that's, for other translations say, God loves a um, cheerful giver. But it's, I love the um, sob stories and arm twisting because, I, again, I think. Too often, our practice around stewardship has been both. Let's manipulate people's emotions and let's twist their arms. And Paul says we shouldn't be doing either. We should just be inviting people to be part of something beyond themselves. Yeah, that's a good message. Amen. Um, wanna so going kind of going back to uh, not your not your parents' offering, offering plate. plate. Uh, I wanted to just ask you, just get your opinion and, and pick your brain on the newer forms of giving. So, you know, a generation ago, it was all the offering plate, cash, check, right in the, into the plate. But a lot of churches now are offering other ways of giving, um, whether it's credit card or just online giving. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on all that? It's, there's, really been a lot, there's been a lot of change going on in terms I've of... I've never heard uh, of that. Is there text really? messaging now? Like, could you text in the yes. queue? Yeah. There, there's, <laughs> like, there's so many different ways, wow. and it's really, I think, um, an untapped uh, asset to local churches. Some are taking very good advantage of it, and others are still kind of fighting uh, some of those changes. You know, again, I grew up um, and I grew up with GI generation parents. You made a pledge, you got envelopes, and you put 52 envelopes in a year. Period. <laughs> no discussion. Right, um, right, right. And now, especially because uh, people don't have a sense of, okay, I'm going to give when I'm there, and then if I miss, I'm going to like give twice or I'm going to catch up. I mean, there's just not that even mentality anymore. So that's where I think the alternative ways to give become even more important. Electronic giving. A local church can set up uh, with, there's a number of different, again, companies that will do this for you, where a person can do an electronic fund transfer from their account to the church account. Mm. Any, they, any suggestions if a church is trying to tap Yeah, into I always point people to gcfa.org, which is the General Council on Finance and Administration for the Methodist Church but you don't have to be Methodist to go there. Okay. Uh, they use a company called Vanco Services, and it's very easy uh, to set up. And they'll 
provide for you all of the marketing materials, oh, forms, nice. sign-up yeah. sheets, everything. Great. Uh, is it G- GCFA? GCFA.org. Start there. Um, because if you go there and click on Vanco, you get um, the special rate that's offered through the denomination. If you go directly to Vanco, I think you end up you know, kind of paying more because you're not part of the group. I uh, see. Piece. Oh, good tip. Yeah, so Vanco Services. Uh, there's also churches. We have a couple of them in the conference now that have giving kiosks. So when you come into the vestibule, there's an iPad, usually on a podium with a slider, square, you know, something. a little square. And I know one that you know you can pay your offering. Uh, if you're doing a mission trip, you can you know pay your mission trip. You can make special gifts. Any any form of oh, giving wow. that the church does, you can do it on that uh, iPad. That is so innovative. I have not heard of that. I've even seen a couple that have the little uh, QRL code in the bulletin. Mm. <laughs> oh, so cool. when you're sitting in worship, you can scan that um, and actually give through your iPhone. Well, so what are some reasons for pushback that churches have that they, they don't want to go into the electronic? Because um, I know a lot of churches are expressing that, but yeah, what, what are some question. reasons and maybe what are some uh, responses that you may have to them? There, there's, a, there's a lot of fear that somehow access to the church accounts all of a sudden will be public and somehow people will gain access to that and be able to steal money. So it's a security. So it's a security issue for a lot of folks. And um, the fact of the matter is I have – in my 10 years as stewardship coordinator, I've never heard of one, not not one time, where anybody was able to access church funds or the individuals that are giving um, because they had that set up. So that's one piece. Another piece is they the, the leadership of the congregation will pretty much convince themselves that no one wants to take advantage of this um, so they don't bother. And, and it's kind of funny because what we see is it's not just young people uh, that are signing up for this when a church does offer it. It's all generations, because that's the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy for folks to sit at their computer or their iPad or their iPhone or their Droid or whatever they have, and and give, pay their bills, make all their reservations for travel. I mean, it's just it's right there. So again, this is kind of meeting people where they are and making it easy for them. Um, you know, there's always a question of, okay, so if a person gives $100 and the fee is, you know, $1.50, um, who pays the fee? And, and again, it's just instead of really researching that and being comfortable with it, well, if a person gives you $100, they get credit for the $100, the church is going to get $98.50. Mm. But guess what? That person's going to give a lot more regularly than only giving when they're in the church, right? And not get because usually people set it up and do it once a month. And that becomes okay. So then there's a little logistical challenge behind that. I'm sitting in the pew. I'm in church on Sunday. I've already given my offering for the month. Here comes the plate. What do I do? So again, churches that have developed electronic giving in a more robust way often will have little laminated cards in the pews that say I give electronically so the person just slips it out of the pew or the chair your back of the chair put it in the offering plate so, so they're, they're not still, so they're still, so they're still participating and oh, then when the calendars pull those out they just redistribute them then throughout the sanctuary that's such a great idea yeah it, it kind of cuts down on the awkwardness 
Yeah, no, yeah. Sure. Uh, the plate gets passed, but I'm not putting anything in it. And it's just a just a couple of churches I've come across that just have a problem with it theologically. Um, that they just don't think other ways of giving are as spiritual. Hmm. And um, I just I think that's a shame uh, huh. because um, I think not not in a selfish we got to get the people's money, but I want to help people to give because giving is how we participate in God's work in the world. And I want to make that I want I want to celebrate that. I want to you know rejoice in it, and I want to help people feel really good about what they're able to do. And there's so, that positive mindset. Yeah, yeah. They just have so to much have... of it comes back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I have twin daughters that are 27. They don't they don't write checks. They don't carry money <laughs> electronically. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's honestly I only write checks when I uh, uh, give off right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you got some awesome stuff. Anything anything else that you want to share? Any other stories we missed or? When we talk about giving, we should never feel like we have to apologize for that. Because we are asking people to give, to be part of God's work and presence in the world. And um, that's a great thing. That's that's a wonderful thing, inviting them into something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, I really appreciate your you. time and coming in. Um, we have one last question for you. Uh, this is a question we ask all of our guests. Uh, and we are the Uncovered Dish podcast, so we kind of felt it was appropriate to end every podcast with this question. And it is, if you can have only one dish for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what would it be? Oh, wow. What a great question. I think it would be lobster roll. Oh, ooh, okay. Uh, on a toasted New England hot dog bun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. So lobster roll, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Lobster roll, breakfast, lunch, and Wake up in the morning, lobster roll, yeah, lunchtime lobster roll, dinner time. Extra dose of cholesterol medicine at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that butter's going to get to you in a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where was your, where's your favorite place to get lobster roll? Uh, Bar Harbor, Maine. Okay. Yeah, you know, I love Maine. Uh, my wife and I both uh, went to seminary in Bangor, Maine, uh, and uh, we just love it up there. We go back up as often as we can, and just uh, part of the reason it's the food for me. I'm, I'm the only one in the family that likes lobster, but I'll eat, I eat everybody's share of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks again, Rich. It was oh, great. My pleasure. Um, again, uh, Rich Hendrickson, he is a senior pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. Uh, if you happen to be walking down the Ocean Grove boardwalk, um, they have worship services on Sundays at 9 a.m. till the end of September. After that, um, they have services at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. It's a great service. We, If you feel like attending, uh, be sure to give Rich Hendrickson our Uncovered Dish podcast love. Excellent. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Rich. Hey, Joe. How you doing today? Great. Thanks. I'm calling to see if you'd like to donate this year to our pastor's love gift. Absolutely. I'm just curious. What do you have in mind for the gift? I thought we could do something a little different this year. Joe, I was thinking the same thing. Have you heard about Bishop's Clergy Convocation? I think she'll really enjoy going there, and we can give her the registration fee as a gift. That sounds great. Sign me up. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Have a good day. 
featuring plenary and small group sessions led by author, coach, and consultant Susan Balmont, and a special event presented by the Music Paradigm, the 2017 Bishop's Clergy Convocation will be held January 23rd to 25th at the Ocean Place Resort in Long Branch, New Jersey. Pastors will experience a life-changing renewal, learning, and fellowship. Be sure to talk to your pastor about Bishop's Convocation and see if he or she is interested in participating. Merry Christmas, and we hope to see your pastor in the new year.